Hello. Here on with Nick and Fiona. Do you recommend being on hallucinogenics while watching this film? It helped. Welcome to the playlist where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Hey, Nick. Hi, Fiona. Fiona, I am so excited about today's episode. We are talking about the mega blockbuster Hollywood hit film, A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are talking to Simon Foster, who is the organizer of the Sci-Fi Film Festival here in Sydney. And we are talking about what we've been watching. But first, Star is Born. What did you think of how I said that? I think it had that old-fashioned razzle-dazzle. I'm here for it. Now, this movie has been made several times before. This is an adaptation. Last week, you discussed... Across the uh, episodes, I've discussed A Star is Born a couple of times because I I rewatched the Babs version with Chris Christopherson probably last year. And a few weeks ago, I watched the Judy Garland, James Mason version from... Several years previous to that, the fifties, yeah, uh, and I have not seen the, the, one from the first 30s. version, yeah, the George Cukor, right. Janet Gaynor version. So this is the f- fourth, fourth, yes, this is the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga right. version, which is opening in cinemas next week. Can I ask you a personal question? Okay. Tell me something, girl. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they like the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. Hey. What? I just want to take another look at you. I've been eagerly anticipating this film, I have to say. Why is that? I am a sucker for the story. I love a good melodrama. I was really curious to see how this one was interpreted. There's elements that I absolutely love about the previous incarnations, but none of them have quite captured it. There's always been something, ugh. And there have been issues with the previous versions, much as I can appreciate them, mm-hmm. haven't loved them, you know what and I mean? did you think that this one was going to tie it all together? No. I was, well, I had hoped so. It was a great trailer that they cut for it. And I just love the story of this, of, you know, an established star on the descent, discovering someone on the ascent and just how their worlds collide. I love it. It's very simple, very straightforward. Totally. Yes. (laughs) Ripe with drama. Do you like the, are you attracted to the singing, the performance aspect, the star aspect, or is it the... For the star moment, like I, I love the various ways that they try and make the biggest star of the day, one of the biggest stars of the day, be average, <laughs> and then boom, there's the voice. And, you know, that moment on screen, Yeah, I love seeing how they interpret that. There were a few of those in this. Yes, yes. Um, so what did you think? You saw it, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Of course I did. <laughs> nope, I'm reviewing Unseen. No, of course I did. I think I love it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I think I do. I do have something. There is a little quibble with one element of the story, but as a remake, I think it's really reverential and and referential as well. Like Like it does reference the previous incarnations, but it's also its own film. Right. And I really appreciate that. And I think, I think it's really well directed. Bradley Cooper, this is his first film, and I think it's really thoughtful in the way it's directed, whereas... Some of the others, well, the Barbara Streisand version particularly does get called a vanity project and 
I think rightly so. There are certain choices made in the in the directing of that. Did that, you not think this was a vanity project for Bradley Cooper? It is. Like it certainly is, of course. But there are choices made where that show it's more than that as well. And I think in the way it pulls away the camera at certain moments. I'm trying to talk around. I mean, I think everyone knows this story, but some probably don't, so I don't want to say. But there are elements at his descent because he's the, he's the established yes. star. He's Jackson Maine in this. Um, and he's a sad cowboy, hideous drinking problem, very complicated life. Yeah, like is an established star. Like, you know, it opens, he's shooting. They shot at Glastonbury. Like it's an enormous stage, a sea of people, and he's in his element. And then, of course, afterwards he just needs a drink, so he, he goes to a bar and a drag bar and sees um, this woman with an incredible voice and that's Lady Gaga, surprise! So uh, takes her under his wing and yeah. shares the stage with her. And I do think there are some great directing choices where it's intimate between them and the, the audience is incidental. You never have an audience perspective of people on stage until the very end, mm-hmm. which I think is a nice I th- choice. I thought Bradley Cooper had, maybe I'm a... Not remembering all of the Lady Gaga moments, but he, I think he made for himself some of the, some very big, big dramatic moments. Well, he gave him all the suffering, which my understanding is that actors like to, uh, they like to do that. <laughs> Just wear that pain. And he's mm. very, like he, he gave himself a voice. He did give himself a voice. I thought, didn't it, he? I thought he was doing Bane for a second, <laughs> but he's, then he ex- explained it. He's doing Sam Elliott. Yeah, he's doing Sam Elliott. That's what you hear. I thought, or Jeff Bridges in Crazy Heart. I thought that's what was happening. There are some connections very much to that, yeah. Yeah. The biggest moments in my head are are him suffering and him going on his journey. Because I guess that's the more melodramatic, dramatic, difficult journey. Hers Mm. is kind of a, it's kind of a skyrocket. Although there's- It's a trajectory. It's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more straight- Whereas his has these peaks and valleys. Well, he's on the decline, she's on the rise. Yeah. So there's more drama in declining, I yes. guess. Yes, yeah. But I think more than the others particularly, you understand the addiction. Like you get a more claustrophobic sense of addiction and what it's – and also her as a partner of someone who's struggling with addiction, I think. Like it has her try and fix him a few times and like even from the first meeting, she punches someone in the face who's in his <laughs> – like trying to take a photo of him, like she's trying to fix yeah. things immediately and that's probably what draws him to her. I think it really captures that much better than some of the other versions have, whereas in the other ones it's, you know, obviously it's the same storyline but you don't quite grasp that. So I, I agree. First of all, I, I also love melodramas uh, mm. and I love that aspect of this story, certainly. And this story, like you were mentioning, has some tremendous moments when she punches that guy. <laughs> it's such a surprise because it doesn't even seem that bad. It seems like kind of a regular moment in a celebrity's life where somebody's yeah. trying to get a photo and then boom. <laughs> and when she tells that other woman who takes a photo of him, um, yeah. he says it's OK. And she says it's not OK. It's but- really not. Mm. That was great. I think she is great in this. Right. And I, it was a revelation because I bought her totally. I never, I didn't think there was one false moment. I never thought I was watching Lady Gaga. Yeah. I'm not a huge Lady Gaga fan. I don't yeah. really love her, her music. I mean, it's a lot of dance pop hits. I like Poker Face. I mean, it's catchy stuff, but, <laughs> yeah. it, but I'm not super into yeah, it. exactly. But I didn't feel like I was watching a Lady Gaga vehicle. I thought she was acting as herself. Yeah. And um, it's interesting she's credited as Lady Gaga. Or, yeah, this could yeah. be a chance where she could be credited. As, um, I think that because I, I didn't feel like I was watching Lady Gaga, I felt like I was watching just a, a 
talented actress and singer. Mm. And when she belts out La, La Vian Rose, it's great. And Bradley Cooper is great watching her. He's very good in his responses oh, to man. her. Oh, man. It's mm. very moving. And then their first duet together. Oh. Tremendous. I had chills. I got teary. I had a big smile and I was teary. <laughs> it's such a great moment and yeah. it's a great movie moment and it's what it you is. go to these kinds of movies for and I absolutely loved it. It is. That said. Go on. <laughs> I, I started, Here's the rub. I started getting bored okay. when he, um, she's on her pop star yeah. rise and he's on his decline. I felt like, and there were a few montages. We started, I felt like we were, we were hitting a lot of familiar beats and we were like, until then, I was buying it. I was all in. Yeah. But then I just felt like, eh, I don't know about this. And then I kind of went flat at the end, Aww. which I don't think you're meant to do. Given no, you're not. It's a dramatic ending. <laughs> no. And my other main gripe, which is totally subjective, I don't, this is country rock, country pop is mm. maybe my least favorite music. <laughs> I, I didn't like the songs. I thought they were really silly. The lyrics were preposterous to some of these songs. Um, you're going to quote someone. I would I like see you to going quote, if, you, if, uh, if I may, um, there's a song called Music to My Eyes. Okay. Now, Willie Nelson's son helped in creating this music. You could do better than Music to My Eyes because it's not ears. You get it? I get and it. So the whole, yeah. all the lyrics are about, yeah. <laughs> it's very ocular in, uh, in theme. And then the shallow song, which oh, I wanted to like. That that is the duet song. Yes, yeah. and I wanted to like it, and I loved it on screen when mm. when they first yeah. do yeah. it. But then I was also listening to the chorus part where it's sha la la la. That just that's no all good. right. It's fine. And well, see, I will say at the screening they were playing the soundtrack first, and I thought, no, 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 I oh, want to see it. Mistake. I want to see it on screen. I don't want to hear yes. it before I see the movie. Big so. mistake. Yeah. And so I ended up thinking about movies that aren't musicals like. West Side Story, but that have original music in them and are technically musicals like Once. Sure. Like I really yeah. like the music in that. Dancer in the Dark, Eight Mile, those kinds of... Mo and the best is probably Purple Rain, but... Mm. Um, and also Top Hat and Stormy Weather. I love those movies. Just, just keep listing movies, but, yeah. So, but yeah, so that that held me back a little bit because I, I, I wasn't as into the music. That's all. But that I mean, that's a minor thing, I think, ultimately. Sure. Yeah, some of them I didn't love. And I don't think you need to. As well, like it's kind of like he's at the top of his game and this sea of people in the audience love it. The more intimate ones I really liked and that could be because of the moment in well, which do you, they're... Do you think we're meant to like that? How? Why do you look so good in your jeans? Well, that's song? my quibble. That, that, when she's that a pop star... That was bad. That's my issue with it. Yeah, I think because she's discovered and gets a dodgy manager who tries to remake her as yeah. a pop star. But she goes along with that. And yeah, there is a song that she writes... And it's kind of shit. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> That's my only issue with but it. But part of the story is him saying he doesn't want her to do that stuff. He wants well, her also, to be real and all of that sort of well, thing. But I think also the movie's showing she's not her authentic star yet. She's not the star she's meant to be. Like, she's popular, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the star hasn't quite been born yet. You know what I mean? Yes. So, like, there's a journey to this film, and I think it's kind of the paths to fame and the pitfalls, clearly in which he's fallen. So broadly, I get it in terms of the arc of the movie, but I just thought, well, we've established what a great songwriter she is and there's a popular song she's written that's kind of shit. So I think she could have been a good pop star who could be a better overall singer broadly. 
I'm rambling a little bit, but yeah, that was my one quibble. That. But are we meant to like that pop song? No, no, right? No, 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 because yeah, yeah. like we know how good she can be and right. what how amazing her voice is. Yeah, and this is not the best use of those talents. I was impre- very impressed with her voice. I don't know if those Lady Gaga, I mean, Lady Gaga songs tend to have a lot, seem to have a lot of filters on them and they're very poppy and she yeah, was really- Yeah, she's had some ballads too, bell- I think. Oh, maybe. Well, I, uh, yeah. I confess I'm not that familiar with her career either, yeah. but this is, like, she's great. Yeah, she's and pretty good. I love that you do actually, you absolutely buy her as a waitress who- Oh, yeah. Has an amazing set of pipes. That's mm. some of the best moments with her, and her with her father, with Dan, yeah. played by Andrew Dice Clay, yeah. and the, with those and his buddies. Like those were very nice, and she's she's really authentic and good in them. Yeah, Dave Chappelle has a nice scene. Yep, Dave Chappelle's He's in it. He's a friend it. of Bradley's. Sam Elliott. Look, we're just yeah, yeah listing names, but I love it. We hadn't talked about this yet. I'm pleased to hear you liked it too. Yeah, three fourths of the way, I would say. Okay. But I was so skeptical going in. I thought, this is another La La Land. I'm going to hate this. Yeah, right. But everyone's going to love it. And I'm going to feel left out of the culture as usual. But I get it and I like it. Mm. I'm glad you brought up La La Land because that, that to me is the antithesis of what this is. Like I think this touches on other films that have gone before in a fresh way, whereas La La Land cherry-picked and just remade moments oh, yeah. to try and achieve the same thing because it – to Des- me, despite, it, I did not buy it in La La Land, as I've said. Despite this being a literal remake yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah, three other movies. Like, it riffs on them, but it, it's its own film, too. Like, you don't have to have seen the others. It helps. Like, it's kind of nice seeing the moments that have been emulated again. Like, there's in the um, Judy Garland one, James Mason takes her makeup off when she's she goes to studio makeup and they just cake it on and give her a new nose, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this one, he sort of takes off the fake eyebrows and things like that. It's a nice way to... Reimagine that scene. They they do a great job of filming those, or I guess he does a great job of filming his intimate moments <laughs> with Lady Gaga. The camera's right up close, yeah. and you feel very much like you're in a real relationship. And it's- yeah, and there's a scene where because he shares the stage with her, and it's nice to watch his limelight shine on her and see that that happen. And like I said, you don't see how the audience sees her right. until yeah, yeah. you do, and um, like you see clips. You see, like, YouTube clips yeah. of what the audience saw, but you don't, we haven't seen that yet. Right. And I love, uh, yeah, I just think it's clever choices in the way it's directed. I love it. So that's Star is Born. It's in theaters next week. Joining me now in the Playlist Studios is producer Dan. Hello, Nick. Hello. Good to see you, Dan. Good to see you. I've actually been here all along. Uh, I haven't noticed. And we are also joined by Simon Foster, the program director of the Sci-Fi Film Festival. Simon? Well, this is a thrill to be here. Nice to see you both. Hope you're both well. It's great to have you on board. Now, you're here because you're the program director for what I believe is the fifth uh, Sci-Fi Film Festival, but it's your first one working as the program director. It's my first festival of any kind as a program director. I've been a... uh I've been a judge along the way at a few ones. I've helped curate a couple of the smaller ones, but this is uh, my first gig as program director. Tom Pappas, who was the fest- is the festival director and who founded the festival uh, four years ago now, he came to me about 18 months ago and said, we need your vast knowledge and 
meagre skills to try and enlighten the, our fifth annual festival, and I hope I've brought something of that to this festival. Yeah, now for those who don't know Simon, he's a film critic. You've been around about for years. so Yes, since the dawn of man, that's yeah. right. People within the film community tend to know you within Sydney, but like maybe nationally people wouldn't be that familiar with you. No, no, I'm the managing editor of a website called Screen Space, and I do a bit of work for the other national broadcaster and a few other radio stations. But yeah, but fairly Sydney-based, as is the festival. We've got plans to, to go wider and, and, and mm. go to other capital cities. But that's right. I'm a Sydney sider, born and bred. Now you, we also know you have a personal connection to the show. Yeah, where is Fiona? She, she was here just a minute ago. <laughs> she, I, don't, I don't know. She said she had something to do, and she took off. Okay, I'll catch up with her later. Yes, you are you are married to her. Yes, yes. The rumours are true, Mr. Fiona Williams. No, that's exactly what I am. Uh, yes, my darling wife Fiona, who uh, your co-host and and uh, co-on-air presenters. Um, she's been very supportive through this whole film festival programming experience. Um, there's not a lot of bucks in sort of small-scale film <laughs> festival programming, so she's been very generous with her time and, and a whole lot of other elements. I love you, darling. So on that subject, and one of the reasons I was really keen to get you into the studio is that I am really fascinated at the moment with the future of theatrical exhibition for films. Uh-huh. So I've noticed a trend taking place within your cinema chains, so largely driven by Palace, but I've noticed that Dendi have gotten into it a little bit and events seem to have really run with it, mm-hmm. which is running these small-scale festivals. So pretty much every weekend in every capital city around the country, you can usually find a festival of some description it's playing true. at one of the chains. And so I was just wondering about your thoughts on that. So you're doing it from a fairly small scale. You're getting a very niche audience in. Mm-hmm. But your relationship, I guess, with events, which is the chain, which is allowing you to run the festival there, uh, what are they after from you? And what are you hoping that like a large chain like that can bring to the festival? The festival has bounced around a couple of different sites over the years. We were at the, the Riverside Theatres out at Parramatta for a while. We did the Randwick Ritz for a couple of years. Event have a very determined gentleman named Anthony Kieran who's overseeing a lot of this, as you call it, sort of the smaller weekend festivals like like us. And yeah. um, they've got Russian the Russian Resurrection coming up soon and they've had the Japan International Film Festival in there recently. Three, four, five-day events that they very vigorously support and go after as you say, exhibition is a very sort of, there's a changing frontier at the moment and um, the big movies come in and last 10 days and then they're gone and there's other sessions to fill and there's downtimes like the October, November trading period, which for event means there's an opening to, to support the smaller festivals like us. Is there a huge focus on trying to get the biggest movies possible? No, well, see, then you'd be taking on the, the, the Marvels and the Disneys and the Fox, you know, 20th Century Fox trying to, to market against them and you'll, you'll never win that. We're really happy with our niche and sort of okay. really sort of keen to find films that won't get a, a large cinema release or, or were destined for home video or were only festival titles around the world and I think we've done a pretty good job this year. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about sci-fi as a niche festival just in the idea that most of the films that we go and see in the cinema at a big chain like events are big Hollywood films which are based heavily on sci-fi conceits. Well, that's an interesting point of view because... You don't hear people saying that Iron Man or Guardians of the Galaxy are a science fiction films. It yeah. still tends to have this B-movie connotation about it yeah. where it was, you're absolutely right, the, the big films, um, the, the big franchises are essentially science fiction films, but there there seems to be, even after Star Wars and Close Encounters and all these blockbuster films have come along and changed the, the nature of the traditional B-movie science fiction is, you, you call it science fiction and suddenly you're in a niche. Yeah. Now, when you're approaching programming the festival, 
the temptation I would have going into it is because you're at events. So like there's obviously a large sort of commercial sort of nature to that as a venue. Mm. I'd be tempted to mix in a lot of sort of older classics like a Close Encounters of the Third Kind and big sort of marquee titles mixed in with some traditional sci-fi festival films. Mm -hmm. But you haven't really gone that way. Like it really is a very sort of tight uh, collection of films which are broadly from the festival circuit. And there's only really one retro film, which is I think it's the 30th anniversary screening of... Of Miracle Mile. Miracle Mile. Steve Jarnay's wonderful yeah. film, yeah. You're right. That one is a little bit of an indulgence. As you pointed out earlier, I am an old man, and um, <laughs> Miracle Mile is a film those, that... Those are your words, not mine. <laughs> Uh, Miracle Mile is a film that had a small cinema run here in Australia back in the late 80s. Because um, I don't know the film. Nick, are you across Miracle Mile? I thought it was the Dustin Hoffman movie. <laughs> what, what, which Dustin Hoffman movie? The, um, are you thinking of Rain Man? No, the, it has Mile in the, <laughs> the title. Moonlight Mile. Moonlight Mile. Moonlight Mile. Moonlight Mile. <laughs> no, it's not the Dustin Hoffman film. Um, it's, uh, You're sure? I'm quite sure, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a story of... Boy, boy is Simon going to be surprised when he sits in the cinema <laughs> in a few nights' time. <laughs> Anthony Edwards picks up a phone outside a diner late one night on the famous Miracle Mile in Los Angeles and on the other end of the phone is a young man in a terrible state of panic screaming, we had to launch, we had to launch, Dad, get Mum out, get Mum out. And he thinks it's a joke. Turns out that he's picked up a wrong a wrong phone number um, and it's a young man in a missile silo and the end of the world is nigh. Um, it was very potent and very relevant back in the 80s with fingers hovering over buttons nowadays the the climate is is ripe for this film now this um, is this was wonderful. right on the heels of um, revenge of the nerds anthony Edwards yes pre-er <laughs> see i got a er into it for yeah, you Dan. thank there you very you much That's all right yes yes right on the heels of revenge <laughs> of the nerds probably just when did the sequel for revenge of the nerds come out he might have been between <laughs> nerds films at this point but he's terrific in it and the film is a a, a very it's a very romantic film. Mia Winningham stars as the romantic interest, but um, there's also obviously a very dark element to it. It's, I'm so excited about screening it. And that screens with a short film, which is having its world premiere at, at our festival, an alien invasion short film um, by director Johan Earl called Shift, and it's very good as well. Now, you have a film here called Andromeda. Yes. Which is not the Andromeda strain. No, it isn't. You're living in the past, man. <laughs> and it's not connected to the Gene Roddenberry series Andromeda yeah. either. No, no, it isn't. I just want to, I like to clarify these things uh, sure, it's for, the for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> now, you open with a film called Star. Okay, here we go. Now, I've seen the first film Star because you had a bit of a media screening yeah. for a few of us to get along to go and take a look at this thing. This is an incredibly unique film. So, Nick, have you seen this yet? I have. Oh, you, you have seen it. It's pretty, it's something else. <laughs> did you watch it all or did you? I did. Yeah. Uh, it's a very unique film. So, for those who haven't seen it, basically, you're just looking at stars. So, it's clips from movies over the years. Yeah. Okay. So, but without from... stars, without movie stars in them. Well, We're talking about starscapes like, and star fields. Legitimately, you're looking up at the sky. Yeah. And so, it starts with some of the earliest films to show a night sky. If I and... may. If I may. If you, please. <laughs> 550 film clips. <laughs> 550. From the dawn of cinema right through to mid-2018, this Austrian filmmaker, a film constructuralist he calls himself, mm. Johann Lerf, has grabbed just visions of the night sky, of deep space, of galaxies, and put them into this celebration of the art form that runs for 95 minutes up to now. It's... it's you having seen the film, both of you, it ends with To Be Continued. Every year he's going to be adding that year's star fields to the movies. Oh, wow. And and when I saw this back in February, back over in Rotterdam at the Rotterdam Film Festival, it ran like 93 minutes. He's added three or four 2018 films since I last saw it, and that'll be happening 
We won't have a new print before the festival next week, but it's an extraordinary film. It's very interesting. It's pretty hypnotic. It is that. It's challenging to watch. It can be a bit dreamlike. It can be a little bit boring. I know that not everyone's going to like this sure. film, but I wanted to make a statement with my, my opening night film. This is a movie about filmmakers and how filmmakers have envisioned the night sky and the galaxy since the dawn of cinema. So this one's really for the fans. Well, see, this is the thing. So the film is essentially just jump cut. So you're watching a night sky for usually like about three or four seconds before it jumps to the next thing. Yep. So when I heard about this, I was like, okay, this is going to be a bit of a chore, but I like Simon. I'm going to politely get along to the That's screen. That's good of you, Dan. Thank but you. I really got quite taken by the film. And what I found was that it didn't seem so much a film about filmmakers, but more because I'm egotistical. It's all about me. It was about my, well, like the audience's relationship to cinema. Yep. So because you're seeing a film jump forward, a lot of the films you're not going to know, but you get sprinkles of films that you do know. And if you've watched enough cinema, you're going to recognize a large number of the films. And even if you don't know exactly what film you're watching it seems familiar mm. so a lot of your brain while you're watching this is going oh wait i know that musical score i know that sound that's being used in the soundscapes in the background like i know what that film is and before your brain can really connect to what it is you're already on to the next film mm-hmm. so your brain's being kept really active throughout the entire um, sort of moving powerful like visually powerful film so it's, it feels like it's going to be a dull experience going in there, but it's probably more active than my mind's been than a lot of cinema that I've got to see. That's exactly right. You start to – when I first watched it, I started to impose my own narrative. I started to feel myself having emotional reactions, yes, sometimes based on memory and my love of those films, but also being swept up in the, the vision that was on the screen. It's his first feature film. He's done this in short form for quite a few years now, Johan mm. Lerf. But uh, I think what he's done with Star – is a remarkable work. It's played both film festivals and art galleries around the world, so it, it sort of runs that razor's edge of being, you know, film or, or an art installation. Um, I'm just really happy to bring it to audiences. I think it's a great film. Are you getting him to uh, to come out? Are we going to get a little lurf? No. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone no. needs a little lurf. No, he's made himself available for interviews, but he's he's tracking with the film all over the world. He was in Vienna, his home base, for a while this week. He's he's in Ireland with the film next week. It's played Sundance. As I mentioned, it's played Rotterdam. Um, yeah, so no, he won't be coming out, unfortunately. Yeah, you recommend you- being on hallucinogenics while watching this film. It helped. I mean, <laughs> I understand it would help. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, did you recognise many of the films when you were watching it? Um, yes. And, but, but like you were saying, there would be, I, f- I felt like I would be getting close to, uh, maybe I know. And then boom, and next gone. one. Yeah. And I definitely was feeling a lot of the nostalgia, a lot sure. of the, when I recognize something, it's just a cool idea. It sort of reminded me a little bit of, um, I might be getting this totally wrong, but a Koyana Scotsy, um, sure, yeah. just lots of clips set to music yep. kind of a thing. A montage documentary. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. And people will be a bit shocked because- there's a couple of points in the film where the starscape ran behind credits in a film. So yeah, what he right. did was cut the credits out right. and suddenly you've got this sort of staccato effect where the stars, are, there's a lot of these really quick series of jump cuts and there's no actors' faces in it. There's some incidental dialogue, but there's no actors at all. And the music, so you're watching these films out of context, but you end up applying your own context because you're in the experience of watching the film. So, yeah, I can't wait to screen it. Can I ask you um, personally what your favourite sci-fi films are? Of all time, of ever? Yeah. Well, that can change on a I daily basis. I assume you're a huge, like, this is your lane, but this is your... It is, yeah. Genre film, science fiction, the horror stuff is what I, I love the most. I've sort of come back to it. Was a, the genre films are... Horror, sci-fi, or, or both separately? Both separate genres. Okay. Um, I grew up as a teenager through the whole VHS years, so horror and genre and, you know, 
dark, scratchy VHS rentals was sort of where I discovered a lot of my films. Of my favourite horror film, uh, uh, sorry, science fiction films, I think Spielberg's Close Encounters is a masterpiece, arguably certainly one of his two or three best films. It legitimised science fiction, which is a terrible thing to say because science fiction for a long time had some really important things to say and reflected society's thinking, changing society. So you thought um, that was better than Ready Player One? Here we go. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did. Um, he's made. I didn't love Ready Player One. I wasn't as down on it as some. I love Minority Report. I think it's. Oh yeah, Minority I think Report it's a wonderful film. And yeah, AI, I think I'm amazing. absolutely support AI. I think he's a he's a marvelous visionary of science fiction works. Uh, Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension is a favorite science fiction film of mine. Not okay. a Spielberg film though. Not a Spielberg film. No. no. W. D. Richter directed it, and it almost killed his career. He didn't have anything to do after that. Um, Alphaville, the Goddard film, a French film from the. Uh, early 60s, I think. Uh, it's a wonderful film. And I'm a, I'm a dead set sucker for Paul Verhoeven's work, uh, Starship Troopers. All right. Um, There's some interesting choices you're making. It's a mixed up bunch, yeah. That's true. No Blade Runner. Um, I certainly love it and can appreciate. Didn't appreciate it when I first saw it, as you know, which was the case with a lot of science fiction fans and writers and critics. It didn't really click when it first came out. I've certainly come to appreciate it a lot more since. Yeah. What about you guys? You must have a, a favorite. Favorite sci-fi film. Are you actually Googling for an opinion? (laughs) (laughs) He is. That's exactly what he's doing. What about you, Dan? Okay. Much like yourself, big Paul Verhoeven fan, Robocop is probably one of my favorite sci-fi films. I totally agree. Yeah. Mixture of sort of sci-fi conceits as well as the media satire is basically catnip for me. Hmm. You know, it's interesting you say that because a lot of the films I saw this year for the festival are filmmakers who were looking at how uh, sentient robotics and artificial intelligence is right on the verge of taking over society. There's a film screening on the Sunday afternoon called More Human Than Human. It's a documentary Mm. in which the filmmaker kind of accepts that robots are around to help us build cars and sort of the the mundane mechanical jobs that we, we have in society. He poses the question, will robots ever take my job? Will they ever be able to create a film, an emotional story, convey human emotions in storytelling, and he sets about trying to figure out if that's the case. He gets Richard Linklater on board to uh, also sort of ponder that, and it's fun along the way. Then it turns very dark, and his findings in the film are really shattering. It's a terrific documentary. Yeah. Um, I'm also a huge fan of the film Contacts, which there's a few clips from that that make its way into Star. Yes. Yeah. This is such a tough one for me. I haven't been listening to any of what you've been saying. We can tell. Um, <laughs> because this isn't my this isn't my genre. It's not okay. my lane. I don't this is not my go-to thing. I don't I don't love this genre over others necessarily. Mm. But Robocop was very, very good. And it and it holds up, I think. Also I think it holds up incredibly well. Also the second Terminator, I think, uh still holds up. Sure. And um there was another one that holds up. Um oh Blade and Blade Runner. Yep. Blade Runner might be my favorite. Yeah. That's fair enough. It's an extraordinary film. I think it's still the best melding of what Ridley Scott can do visually and what he can do narratively when he gets a good script. I also like that first Jurassic Park movie. I know of it. What was it called? (laughs) It was called The Park. Okay. (laughs) It was uh, the Brontosaurus Park. And, um, but 
you know, also Metropolis. Well, see, that's an interesting question, Metropolis. <laughs> that's the first time you've ever said that word, I can tell. Um, I've, I've seen that movie. Metropolis is a great film. It, but once again, you get this sort of blurred... That's Fritz Lang. Yeah. Look at him. Yeah. <laughs> the German filmmakers. If you listen close, you can hear his laptop just about to close. Yeah. Um, the uh, there's this blurred sort of line is alien and aliens are they yeah, that's are they action horror or is it sci-fi horror well exactly which is which is you mentioned Jurassic but Park. also I mean the alien films play around genre a fair bit so exactly. I mean I'd argue James Cameron's Aliens is more of a war film than sci-fi yeah. and and there's an argument that the first Alien film is more a haunted house story or a slasher film really than a than yeah. a, in a science fiction setting so yeah you're right genres blur. Now, just sort of wrapping things up in regards to the film festival, there's a fair bit of an SBS connection where you've got the aforementioned Fiona Williams. Uh, she's going to be doing a Q&A after your Saturday night screening of Reflections in the Dust. Oh, boy, wait till you see this film. It's the Australian premiere of Luke Sullivan's movie. It, it pre- had a world premiere at Carlo Viveri a couple of months back. Um, it stars Sarah Hubolt and Robin Royce Query, I think the gentleman's name is. It's all shot in black and white. It's set in a dystopian future where everything is broken down to the most barest of elements. It's one of the films in the festival that really tackles masculine toxicity um, and a, a sort of a, a foreboding sense of patriarchy, for want of a better phrase, um, in, in science fiction cinema. Sarah Hobolt, who's a, an extraordinary actress, um, sight-impaired, sufferer of a rare condition, she's being awarded with the Chris Murray Award, which is a, an honorary award that I've introduced at this year's festival that acknowledges the bravery and, and extraordinary talent that, that she's shown in her her creative endeavour. So, yeah, Fiona will be doing the Q&A duties on that. That's going to be a tough one because it is not an easy film to like. It's a, another very dark, um, disturbing vision. There is some fun stuff in the festival as well, I should point out. We've walked down a dark path this, this well, morning. We've also got early on Saturday, you've got Mark Fennell, who hosts SBS's The Feed and former guest on the Playlist podcast a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. That's right, friend of the show. He's doing yeah. My Saga, which is Adam Harris's documentary about having been uh, diagnosed with a brain tumour. He decided to embrace life and, as a young father, took his young son to a Star Wars convention in the uh, in the US, and it's about the journey he went on. Um, Adam will be there for the Q&A with Mark, as will his son, Jack Anakin. That's the boy's name. He's actually named the boy. Oh, boy. Anakin. Um <laughs> Yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, and a highlight that people might want to check out, the thing that's getting probably the most buzz is this film Prospect, which is your Saturday night film at 7.30. Straight from Sorry, South- 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, yeah, straight from South by Southwest. You're right, this is um, – I it didn't have a buzz about it when I programmed it. I saw it a few months back. It launches in the US mid-November. Um, the two young directors, Chris Caldwell and Zeke Earl, are doing a huge amount of, of press on the film. And the young actress in the lead role, Sophie Thatcher, is extraordinary. It's essentially a deep space mining story. They're set on a deep space planet. If you imagine sort of true grit with a science fiction setting, it's another film that looks at diabolical father figures and co-starring with Sophie Thatcher is Game of Thrones' Pedro Pascal, and he's fantastic in this role. Yeah, this is definitely the centrepiece of the festival. Yeah, and Jay Duplass is obviously in that film as well. Exactly. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pascal, is he um, in Narcos? Yes, exactly right. Yeah, that guy? Yeah. yeah, he's good. Yeah. He's very good and he's great in this. I think people know him mostly from Game of Thrones where he goes head he's squished the, with the yes, thumbs. Very... Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. People have had time. We've had time. Okay, see, I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I didn't know he was in Game of Thrones when I programmed this film, but everyone saw his name and went, oh, Game of Thrones, the eye guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, Simon, it looks like a really fun festival. So thank you very much for coming in. We thank appreciate you very it. Much, thank guys. you. I appreciate it's it. It's very interesting. Thank you. Man. And the kickoff dates for this? Uh, starts Thursday, October 18th through till Sunday the 21st. Fantastic. And Thanks, that's buddy. in Sydney. Thank you. Now we come to the part of the show where we talk about what we've been watching. Fiona, what have you been watching? I've been watching Beetlejuice. Classic. Yeah. (laughs) I caught a 30th anniversary remastered version of it in the cinema. Could you tell that it was remastered? Uh, Did it look that much better or sounded better? No, it looked good. Okay. (laughs) And I, I haven't seen it in the cinema for 30 years. Yeah. So um I have seen it on DVD since. So no, I wa- and I no, I wasn't looking for Okay. how it looked. You know, it looked good. <laughs> um How does it hold up? Very well. I've got great affection for this film. I think everyone It's great. is in their element here. I think Michael Keaton should have got an Oscar for this. Yeah. Gina Davis, Winona Ryder, Catherine O'Hara, like they are standouts. Oh, Catherine O'Hara is great in it. Yeah. Alec Baldwin is great. Yeah. And I know he had issues with playing such a nice character who didn't have a lot to do. Sorry, Alec. <laughs> Tough. The film's great. In hindsight, there is an issue with Jeffrey Jones being in this. He well, uh, has a troubled history. He does. Uh, you may know him best as the principal in uh, Ferris Bueller. But, yes, he's. you can Google it. I'm not going to go into it. But, anyway, so that's a bit of a downer. But, no, love it. Holds up. You laugh? Yeah. Great. Not. Not belly laughs, but yeah, like, yeah. The practical effects are great. I love it. Yeah, it really helps. When Tim Burton was making great films. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this and Edward Scissorhands. And I came late to Pee Wee's um, Big Adventure, but I love oh, that movie too. So they're, about, they're probably my top three. I thought about rewatching that recently. Love it's it. It's been a long time. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is Large Marge. Okay. <laughs> the Alamo scene is fantastic. Um, well, that's very you... gratifying to hear because I, I I remember loving that movie. Yeah. What have you been watching? So I've got a um, a triple hitter, some oh, quick hits. Okay. Um, there's a new show called Trust, starring Donald Sutherland. About um, um, it's about Getty, and it's the same story as All the Money in the World, but stretched out over ten episodes. Right. And Donald Sutherland's great in it. So he's the Christopher Plummer. Yeah, he plays uh, Paul Getty. Of... <laughs> The uh, the billionaire um, head of this uh, family fortune and his grandson, who he favors, gets kidnapped and refuses to pay the ransom. And in, in the Michelle Williams role is Hilary Swank, who yeah. does an okay job. It's uh, it's not that great. Uh, it's a little flat. It's a series, sorry. Yeah, it? yeah, it's a series. And Donald Sutherland's great. I always like him uh, since uh, Clute. And uh, <laughs> it's produced by Danny Boyle. He directed the first three episodes. Friend of the show, Danny Boyle. That's right. And he's uh, working with his longtime collaborator, uh, Simon Balfoy. Beaufoy? My apologies. Don't know if how, how that's pronounced. But yeah, I just, I just wasn't that into it. Okay. And I'd already seen the movie. Um, and that story. Yeah. So next, uh, this might make me seem like a company stooge, but um, How Mad Are You? Me? Is the name of a show. Thank you. How, um, quote unquote, in mad. In quotes, yeah, mad. Um, it's a two-part series airing this week and next week on SBS, mm. Thursday night. And it um, it gets a 10 Australians together, five of whom have a history of mental illness, five of whom don't. And, these, and three experts, psychiatrists, 
are um, tasked with trying to figure out who has a history of mental illness. Mm. So they run them through some tests, they ask them a variety of questions, and, and they and they try to guess mm. if they have if they have this history. It's very interesting, especially some of the tests that they take that are based on all this clinical research. And it's well, they do stand up, don't they? Like sort of like to see anxiety levels, and you have to yes. do an impromptu stand up set. Which so there's stuff like that, which is social based, yeah. and then there's other things where they just have to move balls around. Sure. And um, for me, the most fascinating one is when they have them looking at photos of themselves, ah. and they read their eyeball movements, and they can tell what kind of or there's a statistically. People who look at certain parts of their own body in certain ways at certain times have certain kinds of disorders. Wow. It's pretty fascinating. And that segment of the show is my favorite. It's mm. super interesting. Mm. And I didn't know a lot of that stuff. It was, it was very interesting and kind of moving. Yeah. So I've been watching that. I've also been watching The Wine Show, which is a UK show. It airs uh, on SBS on Saturdays, and it stars two of, I don't know if they're my favorite actors, but I love these guys for some reason. <laughs> Matthew Good, who is in lots of TV shows and lots of movies, most notably for me, uh, The Good Wife and Downton Abbey. He plays a very handsome, very charming love interest. <laughs> and uh, Matthew Reese, who- Emmy Award winning. That's right. Just won an Emmy for his role in The Americans. Also, Charm Till Tuesday. Yeah, he strikes me as very charming. Very funny. And the two of these guys get together and it's them and a couple of wine experts going to different parts of the world trying different wine. They're in Italy. Nice work if you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> They're based in Italy at a villa for a month and they send, they send the wine experts out. <laughs> to get them. Yeah, to get the wine. I love wine and I love reading a about people drinking wine and watching people drinking wine, and you love the theater of I do. I love the swirl, I love the smell. I love all the rules. <laughs> I don't mind people getting snobbish about it. I'm definitely not in my element when that happens, but I've been very entertained by it. And these two guys, when they get together, they're I mean, it's just very funny. It's very British, I suppose, mm. and there's lots of puns, which isn't normally my thing, but uh, they're a lot of fun together. And uh, a little bit the trip, a little bit Steve Coogan and. Uh... Well, definitely shades of the trip. I love the trip. Same. But but that is also that's got some scripting. Yes, of course. And those two guys are unbelievably <laughs> hilarious and dark and that, I mean, yeah, the trip is amazing. Mm. This is also very good. <laughs> different. <laughs> yes, very different. Very different. It's it's more of a lifestyle travel yes. show. Yes. But it's uh, Well, the trip is kind of parodying as well. A yes, bit. a little bit in a kind of a dark yes. dark way. But it's very enjoyable. It's, even if you're not into wine, if you like these two guys, I don't see how you couldn't. They're mm. they're pretty great. What's to hate? Yeah. Great. I liked it. Well, we like everything this week. What's going yeah. on? We need to hate something. <laughs> yeah, next week, maybe Con Air. Yeah, we'll talk you get about out that. of town. <laughs> Gauntlet um, thrown. Well, that's it for our show. Make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook at SBS Movies, if you want, especially if you want to get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Nick Bassine. I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. The playlist is produced by Dan Barrett with um, audio and mixing by Jeremy Wilmot. Um, see you next week. Thanks for listening. 